Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. Let me share our scripture with you today. It's from the book of Numbers, chapter 14, verses 1 through 10. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become booty. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us choose a captain and go back to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the Israelites. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephoni, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the Israelites, The land that we went through as spies is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are no more than bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But the whole congregation threatened to stone them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Most of you are aware, of course, that I'm Aaron's dad and Micah and Kaysen's granddad, and, um, but also that because Aaron has shared with you that he grew up in a pastor's home, um, you know that I am a United Methodist pastor as well. I've been serving since June of 1983, and just so you'll know, Aaron was born in January of 1984, and so I actually have been preaching and under appointment longer than he's been alive. But um, over the years, I've served 29 years as a pastor, but then uh, a little over eight years ago, I was appointed to serve as a district superintendent uh, for the Wichita's area. I was based out of Lawton. And then a little over four years ago, I'm now in my fifth year in this appointment, um, there was a new position created as uh, for full-time to be a director of new faith communities. And so it was my responsibility and task to be able to help our conference to start uh, more new churches. And then as my job has evolved over the last four years, they decided that this year they needed to rename my position. And so my full title is Director of Congregational Development and Conference Resources. And I think they could put a couple more ands on that um, because I've, you know, I do a lot of different things for our conference on your behalf as we serve our Lord through the United Methodist Church. 
But some of the things that I get to do is not only start new congregations, but also help to revitalize existing ones, and then also to manage uh, the properties that we have for the conference, particularly from our closed churches. And then when those uh, the church sells, then the proceeds that we generate from the sale of those properties can be used in what we call the legacy fund and the legacy process. And so just a little bit about the things that I do, and, and but certainly one of the things that I appreciate too is this congregation and being able to uh, worship with you uh, pretty much on a weekly basis. Uh, my wife and I have been worshiping in the early service here in the last few months, but we, we appreciate you taking care of our son and his family as uh, they've come here and been here for a little over a year. When Aaron approached me about preaching uh, this week, he wanted me to continue with the sermon series that he had started, and the sermon series is titled Away in the Wilderness. And the thing that I thought about is when I'm in the wilderness, I want a way out of the wilderness. And so that's what I really think is important. And I want to share a couple of stories with you to begin about some times that I was in the wilderness or in the woods and um, didn't know where to go. And so the first story that came to mind for me was one of my earliest memories, if not the earliest memory I have. So that may tell you that it was a little bit traumatic. Uh, but when I was four years old, uh, I had a neighbor uh, boy right lived next to me. He was four years older than me, and so I got to experience things perhaps a little bit earlier than others. And so he decided that he would take me on a snipe hunt. And so um, we went out in the woods. He explained to me that snipes were these little birds that sort of scampered around on the ground, and you had to be really quiet. And so he took me out in the woods, and we began to try to find the snipe. And then at some point in time, I realized that we weren't finding any snipe, and I couldn't find my friend, B.B. Brown. I was alone in the woods at four years of age. And I just remember just crying, not sure how I was going to get home. A second story that came to mind about me being in the wilderness was actually some 50 years later. It was when I was uh, the district superintendent for Southwest Oklahoma and living in Lawton. Uh, right north of Lawton is the Wildlife Refuge. Some of you may have gone there before. I love driving through the Wildlife Refuge whenever I get a chance to be able to see if I can see any of the wildlife, like buffaloes or the longhorn steers or whatever may be there. Um, and I had a pastor who was an avid um, hiker. And so we were talking one day, and he had plans of making a hike, you know, from rim to rim at the Grand Canyon. And he was needing to, you know, sort of work his way up to that. And so he was doing a lot of hiking in the wildlife refuge. And, and so I talked with him and said, you know, I, I think, you know, I've always loved the wildlife refuge. I'd like to get to know it better, like going on a hike. Uh, would I be able to do something with you? And he thought that would be fine. And he said, you know, the next time I go out, I'll give you a call and we'll work that out. And so he did. He gave me a call. And he said, you know, I'm going to go hiking. Would you like to go with me? And so we made arrangements for that in a couple of days. 
And um, he said, I want to take you up on Elk Mountain. And so we went up to Elk Mountain. And um, he said, you know, there's a high, you know, there's a trail that you can go up. It's a little over a mile. The hike is supposed to be a 2.4 mile uh, hike, 1.2 mile uphill, 1.2 miles downhill. And um, but I said, you know, I think you can do it. Well, I'm not the best. I'm not in the best shape. But he thought, you know, this is going to be challenging in a little bit. But it's so worth it when you get on top of the mountain and be able to see the view. And some of y'all may have gone to the Wildlife Refuge. Perhaps you've gone on the top of Mount Scott, which is another mountain out there that you can drive your car up to the top. And so we went on this hike. And when we got up to the top, he said, you know, there's a natural arch that I would like to show you. And so we went over here and it wasn't over here, and we went over here, and it wasn't over here, and we went over here, and it wasn't over there. And after a while, he said, you know, I just don't, I don't quite remember where it is, and so we'll just, let's go back down the mountain. Well, then we couldn't find the trailhead. And so he said, I tell you what, I think if we go this way, we can go down the mountain, and we'll hit the trail. And so we started down the mountain, no trail, just jumping on rocks and making our way the best we could down. And we get to the point where we realize that I don't think we're going to hit the trail. And I began to think, it's a long ways down this mountain and I could sprain an ankle, I could get bit by a rattlesnake. I mean, all the different things that you can think of about what bad could happen I certainly didn't want to be stuck on the side of the mountain. And so in both of these stories, there's this sense of despair, a sense of being lost. And so for the kids, I'd like for you to be able to just draw a picture of someone that's lost in the woods. In our story today, when the Israelites were in the wilderness, they also got to this point of despair. And when we read this story in the staff meeting earlier this week, and we asked them, what stood out to you? One of them replied, it was when they tore their clothes off. And I told them, oh, it's not that they tore their clothes off, they just tore their clothes. But I'd like to go back to that scripture and share with you so you can get a sense of their point of despair, Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb. So in chapter 14, verses 5 and 6. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their face before all the assembly of the congregation of the Israelites. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephoni, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And so when Aaron and Moses fell on their face, it was a sign of begging the people not to do this. When Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes, it was a sign that they were in distress. They were upset. And it was at that point of despair that not only was it the point of despair, but it's also the turning point in the story of the Israelites in the wilderness. And so for us to get a sense of how we work with this point of despair, 
we need to realize that we need to go, get back to earlier in the story. And so the story about the spies actually begins in chapter 13 in the book of Numbers. And it says that the Lord told Moses that he needed to send some spies out uh, to the promised land. And so he picked 12 men, one from every tribe, and gave them a task. And I want to read the task to you in verses 17 through 20. It says, Moses sent them out to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up there into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is like and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land they live in is good or bad, and whether the towns that they live in are unwalled or fortified, and whether the land is rich or poor and whether there are trees in it or not. Be bold and bring some of the fruit of the land. And so he sent the spies out, and 40 days later, they come back, and they show some of the fruit of the land. And it says that it took two of them to carry this cluster of grapes on a pole. And so with our kids, for the next picture, I'd like for you to be drawing a picture of a cluster of grapes so big that it takes two men to be able to carry it. I remember seeing a picture like that in my Bible storybook growing up, and it just, you know, when I was reading this story again, that just sort of popped into my mind about how fruitful the land was to have fruit that large. And so when they begin their report, they begin so well. It says, the land flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And if they had just stopped there, things would have been fine. I think the people would have been excited because of how good the land was. And that was a part of the task that they were supposed to do. But besides looking at the land and whether it was good or bad, they also were to talk about the people and they were to share a report about the cities, whether they were fortified or large, whether the people were strong or not. And when they began to share that part of their report, it took the heart out of the people. Caleb could sort of sense that they were losing the crowd. And I can just imagine just this murmuring, this, this talking among people about what was being shared. And he breaks in and he says, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able. But 10 of the spies said, we are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we. We seemed like grasshoppers, because they had seen the descendants of Anak there, who were giants. And when they looked at what was to happen, said it looked like we were grasshoppers. And so kids, I'd like for you to draw another picture. Draw a picture of giants, and other people that make it seem like they're grasshoppers, that they're very small. That's how they seemed after they looked at the people. It reminded me of a story about Newt Rockney. Newt Rockney is a legendary football coach that coached at Notre Dame. And one of the things that he was known for was that he was able to give pregame speeches that really psyched up his team. And so the one that's most famous is the statement that they should win one for the Gipper. He had had a former player that had 
George Gipp, who had passed away. There's a movie about this, but it talks about that he wanted them to win one for the Gipper. And they did. But not only was Newt Rockney good at being able to psych up his team, but also he was good at psyching out his opponent. And so on one occasion, they were going to be playing the University of Southern California. And Southern California, USC, was a better team. They were predicted to win by a wide margin. And so Newt Rockney knew that he needed to do something. And what he came up with was that he went around campus and he looked for every big and brawny guy he could find, and he would go up to him and recruit him and say, how would you like to put on a uniform of the University of Notre Dame and go to Southern California? And he got a lot of people to take him up on his offer. Some of it was their dream that they could dress out for Notre Dame. Well, when they got to the game day and he waited until USC got out on the field and then he let out his army of green giants because their uniforms were green. And they come running out of the tunnel and there's just more and more and more of them. He had found over 100 people to dress out for his team. And when the other team saw what was happening, they panicked. And their coach could tell that they were panicked. And so he calls his team together and says, I don't care how many people they run out here, they can only play 11 at a time. But it didn't matter what he said because his team had already lost the game before the game even started. And sure enough, they lost to the University of Notre Dame. Sort of reminded me of my own football experiences when I was in ninth grade. We were playing a team that we hadn't played in eighth grade. They were a larger school than us. There was more, um, you know, just a higher classification of level than we were. And so when they came, we were on the field, and when they came running out, I was standing by a friend of mine named Donnie Harmon, and we watched these people come out, and he said something that I've always remembered. He said, they may be big and fast, and we are small and slow, but we're feisty. And I laughed, I giggled at that, and I thought, yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, we're going to play this game. And sure enough, we weren't intimidated. We beat them, even though they were bigger and probably faster than us, and maybe should have won the game. I think it's important to realize that it's so easy for us to despair when we think that our obstacles to our goal are bigger than we are. And so I want us to go back to that point of despair in the biblical story with the Israelites. Because it wasn't just when Moses and Aaron fell down on their face and Joshua and Caleb were tearing their clothes, but there were things that were happening that made them get to that point. When they got to this point where they were trying to decide if they could go into the promised land or not, 
It says that the Israelites cried all night, that they were weeping all night long, that they were complaining against Moses and Aaron. And they were saying things like they wished that they would have died in Egypt. They wished that they would have died in the wilderness because God was going to have them die by the sword in this land. And they wanted to choose a new captain who would take them back to Egypt. And that is the point when Moses and Aaron fall on their face to beg the people not to do that. That is when Joshua and Caleb are tearing their clothes as a sign of distress. And that is when Joshua and Caleb speak up again. And I'd like to share with you those next verses, verses 7 through 9. Caleb and Joshua said, The land that we went through as spies is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are no more than bread for us. And whenever we were looking at that in the staff, Aaron was reading from the message, and it, if you don't think there's trash talking in the Bible, then you haven't looked at this verse. Because the message translation has it like this. We'll eat them for lunch. Caleb was confident that they could take the promised land because God was with them. But it says that the people were going to stone them. And that's when the glory of the Lord came down and this turning point came. They'd been in the wilderness for about a year, but now God says that they're going to stay in the wilderness until this generation had passed away. It would be 40 years that they would stay in the wilderness. Moses pled with the Lord and asked him to forgive their sins, but there was still going to be that consequence. Let me also share some of the, how the stories that I shared about my personal things, how they went as well. So I want to take you back to Elk Mountain. When we got to the point where we realized that we were going to have to go down the mountain, one of the things to realize is you just don't go down the mountain, but you go over here because it looks easier to go somewhat over this way. Looks like a better, better way. There's no path. And then you come across this way, and then you come back over here. I don't know how long it was, but I know it wasn't 1.2 miles to get down the mountain. And I got so tired, my quads were burning because, they, you know, when you're going downhill all the time, boy, my quads were, I got so tired. And like I said, I was trying to make sure I didn't misstep and turn, turn an ankle or break a leg or step on a rattlesnake or any of these things. And somewhere along the way, my friend thought, I have a friend that is hiking in the wildlife refuge today. And if I can get my phone to work and get some cell coverage, then I'll call him. And so somewhere along the way, 
you know, he's holding up his phone and he finally got a bar and we stopped and he called his friend and sure enough, he got a hold of him and he said, we're in trouble. We need help. We're coming down the side of Elk Mountain. I think we're going down the south side. Can you come and get us? And he said, sure, but first I got to get back to my truck. And so we kept on going down and we finally got down to the bottom of the mountain. And as luck would have it, or maybe as God had provided, there was a campground there. And so there was a dirt road that we could follow to a paved road. And we got out on the paved road and we thought, okay, we're going to have to hike on this road back to our car. And it turned out to be about another two miles. But right when we were starting to, you know, to walk on that road, here came his friend in his truck. I have never been so happy to see anyone in my life. It was just fantastic that we had a ride back to our car. Now, when I look back at this story, the thing that I see is where it went wrong. And that is that we had lost our sense of direction. When we were on on the top of Elk Mountain, we went this way and that way and this way and just trying to find that arch, which someone from the first congregation who had hiked to the top of Elk Mountain told me it was worthwhile to see, but she had only seen it once and never could find it either. And so we didn't know where we were. And the second thing that had happened, even though he was an experienced hiker, he'd left his, one of the essential tools home, a compass. And so we didn't know what direction that we needed to go or where we were going. We lost our sense of direction. Now, when I was four years old and I went snipe hunting, and I realized at some point that crying wasn't going to get me home. I began to look around, and one of the things that I saw was I saw a flagpole. They had built a new National Guard armory on the street that I lived on, and it had this large flagpole. And when I saw that flagpole, I realized that if I walked that way toward the flagpole, that then I could get to my house. And so I just took off keeping my eye on the flagpole. And when I look back and reflect upon that experience in my life, I realized it was what gave me hope, what got me home, was the fact that I could see something that gave me a sense of direction. I could see the flagpole. It reminded me of an experience during World War II on the Battle of Iwo Jima. Iwo Jima became the bloodiest battle of World War II. They had already been fighting for a couple days when two soldiers, you know, they got a little respite from being shot at and they began to talk to one another and one of them said to the other, I don't think we're gonna make it off this island alive. And the other one said, I think that we're going to see our soldiers take that hill. And he pointed to Mount Hiravachi. 
And the other guy said, well, I don't see any white flags of surrender. And he said, you'll see our flag tomorrow. And sure enough, the next day, February 23rd, 1945, our troops took the top of Mount Hiribachi and they raised the flag in what has become one of the most famous symbols and pictures of the World War II. And when the troops saw the American flag go up, they all took heart. And his friend never forgot those words. You'll see our flag tomorrow. Throughout his life, whenever he got to a point of despair, he thought about seeing a flag. And so kids, I'd like for you to draw a fourth picture, and that is of a flag. And I want you to realize that there are things that help us to have a sense of direction, a sense of purpose in our life. And so it is, the Israelites had lost their sense of direction. The sense of direction that they should have had was that God had made a promise that he intended to fulfill. He had made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that this land was going to be their land for them and for their descendants. And they hadn't been taken out of Egypt, led by Moses and Aaron, away from Egypt, going through the Red Sea, losing the Pharaoh's army, to come into the wilderness now and be able to launch into the promised land. God was going to do this if they would just trust him. But they lost their sense of trust. In your life, there gets to be times of points of despair. You've already had some in your life. You'll have more. But there comes a time in your life where you're wondering and you've lost your way. You've lost your way in the wilderness. And we're living in wilderness times today. But there is a way out of the wilderness. Don't forget your sense of direction that God gives. Don't let fear, the fear of giants or the fear of anything overcome you. Don't let your fear be stronger than your faith. Because God will make a way. Let us pray. Oh God, we are grateful. We're grateful that you are always faithful that you are with us and that at times when things get really tough, when we get to that point of despair, when we lose our sense of direction, help us to look for that promise or that flag that points us in the right way. Help us to see that in the wilderness there is a way out of the wilderness. Lord, help us not to be fearful, but to be strong in our faith, to rely upon you. And Lord, we are grateful that you are the way maker. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.